Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. We're going to be talking about longevity and investing in the science of anti-aging today. Um, and to do that, I'm joined by Jim Mellon. Jim, how are you doing? Uh, I'm fine, actually, and it's really nice to talk to you again. I think it's been about three weeks, um, yep. and uh, not much has changed here, and I'm sure not much has changed with you either. Where Apart in the world that, are you today? Of course, that we're all getting older, which is the subject <laughs> of a podcast. Um, I'm still in Ibiza. Um, I'm planning to go to Dubai on uh, sometime in November, and that will be the first major excursion um, for me in the last six months. Good. Glad to hear you've been uh, out and about. Um, so you've been involved in this sector for some time now. Um, it's one that you believe has the potential to become one of uh, one of your money trees, as you like to call them. Uh, for those that might not be familiar with the space, can you just give us a flavor of the scale of the opportunity here for investors? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great question, James. So let's put it in this context. At the moment, about $150 billion worth of products are sold around the world, principally in the United States, um, which are described as anti-aging. So everything from creams to pills to, uh, you know, therapeutics, um, none of them work. Uh, and, uh, you know, the elixir of youth has been looked for for thousands of years uh, back through recorded history and nothing has been found. So it seems odd that we live at a time when uh, it's possible that there can be some influence to begin with on what we call health span, which is the years of healthy living as opposed to the gross number of years, the years in which uh, many people towards the end of their lives are characterized by one or more dread disease, that period can be extended. So in other words, you know, you don't have to be frail as well as old. Uh, and then the second is it's very likely that it's going to be possible to increase uh, lifespan for most people. And the main catalyst to that is the discovery of the human or the unveiling of the human genome uh, around the year 2000 and subsequent scientific advance, which has proven that there are some pathways that influence aging and that all of them are malleable or in other words, influenceable uh, in animal organism and in some cases, human models, in other words, ex experiments. And so as I keep on saying to everyone, we're in the dial-up phase of the internet of this nascent science. Um, it's very primitive at the moment, but it's accelerating very rapidly and it's accelerating. And with this, I'll end this opening uh, monologue. It's accelerating for two reasons. One is that, as I've said many times on Master Investor, knowledge once learnt can't be unlearnt, and the accumulation of knowledge in this field is incredible. And the second reason is that money is beginning to come into the sector in a fairly large way, because if there is a drug or drugs or therapies or whatever that can influence aging, and the reason I think it's going to be the biggest market in the world, it affects all 7.8 billion people on this planet and therefore represents the biggest market opportunity of all time. You know, tulip bulbs had a specific audience. Bitcoin has a specific audience. Cannabis has a specific audience. Even the internet has a specific, not universal audience, but there are very few people on the planet who don't want to live a longer and healthier life. That's why the market opportunity is so big. So, I mean, as you were saying, uh, there are people out there now that are prepared to pay a ton of money for, you know, um, anti-aging creams and things like that that don't actually work. So, obviously, you know, the opportunity here for something that, that does actually do what it says on the tin um, is absolutely huge. And I've seen some some really, you know, some, some absolutely astounding numbers um, in terms of predictions for the size of this market. Um, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch has predicted that it could be worth $504 billion by 2025. But I've also seen some, some more outlandish numbers 
um, than that. So I suppose it it depends on how you you kind of define the market, doesn't it, Jim? Because there are there are, there, are, there are, it's a very broad range of um, of um, sort of subsectors here, aren't they? What actually feed into the anti-aging market? So could you could you could you break those down and into um, the you know the specific um, individual areas for us? Uh, yeah, I'll try to. I mean, first of all, I don't know how the Bank of America knows it's going to be 504 billion as opposed to 501 or <laughs> 301 billion, but uh, um, I assume they have some good reasons. Uh, the, uh, but I just let's put it in some historical context. I think is the best way of doing it. The global drug market, uh, both generic, which is those drugs that are off patent that you're familiar with, like. Uh, anti-ulcer drugs or aspirins or whatever um, or, and most forms of antibiotics now uh, is estimated to be worth about 1.4 trillion dollars wow. which if memory serves me right is about the size of the economy of Spain where I am at the moment uh, it's growing 5 or 6% a year growing in line with the population and with the advent of new drugs. Within that $1.4 trillion, there is, however, dramatic change. So when I wrote my first book about biotech, which was seven years ago, Cracking the Code, uh, cancer immunotherapy didn't exist. And I think most people know what cancer immunotherapy is now. Um, it's had some spectacular results in certain forms of cancer. So for instance, leukemia, blood cancers, or melanoma would be examples of that. Now, that has gone from being nothing seven years ago to being a 200 billion US dollar market today. And yet that market is uh, covered, covering only a small number of people, those unfortunate enough to have those specific cancers and who can afford to pay for the treatment. But imagine if in the future, and I don't know what in the future might look like, it might be 10, 20, even 30 years away, there was a drug that if everyone took after the age of 30 or 40, which represents, let's say, half the world population, so about three and a half or four billion people by then, and every single person took one of those drugs every day, and the drug costs $1 a day, $365 a year, that market would be bigger than the whole of the worldwide drug market is today. It would be phenomenal. And the worldwide drug market, by the way, um, is the feast on which companies like Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, GlaxoSmithKine um, eat to make their living. And they're very, very substantial companies. So you can imagine that the price for the early adopters or the early entrance into this market could be stunningly big. Uh, so that's that's the first part of, of my answer to your good question. The second is that in order to get a drug on the market, let's say, James, I've got the drug that's going to keep you alive for another 10 years and you'll be healthy in the latter part of your life. Because let's remember that all diseases ultimately are diseases, or most diseases are ultimately diseases of aging. In other words, they, the uh, prevalence of the disease goes up as you get older, which is no coincidence that in the COVID pandemic, the average age of death in the UK is about 82 and a half, which is around expected life expectancy. So it's not surprising that uh, it's the very old people who are generally speaking, dying of COVID. And those who have um, comorbidities or illnesses that uh, accompany that relatively old age. So the diseases of aging come from uh, the fundamental disease, which is aging itself. Um, and but unfortunately, the disease of aging itself is not recognized as an indication. So if you go to your doctor, you say, I'm just very old, doctor. Um, that's not good enough for the doctor. He's got, to, or he sh or she has got to categorize you as being someone with cancer or heart disease or 
respiratory disease or Alzheimer's or dementia or obesity or diabetes, one of the very major uh, diseases that kills ultimately most of us. And so most drug companies focus on addressing those key diseases of aging rather than the top cascade, which is the disease of aging. We cannot, as a business, and I'm talking about juvenescence here, say uh, we've got the pill, let us try it out um, and wait for 30 or 40 years to see if it works because no business can sustain itself for that length of time. So we have to look for near-term indications uh, which allow us to have a commercial success while at the same time observing the patients who are both being trialed and then ultimately treated by the drugs or therapies that we developed to see if there is a slowing, halting, or even reversal of the aging process using what are called biological clocks. And these are very sophisticated uh, uh, clocks that use all sorts of techniques to determine whether you're getting older in a biological sense or younger in a biological sense. And they're becoming much, much more adept. And then presumably what will happen is that ourselves or some other company will go to the FDA or the European Medical Agency and say, not only are we curing these people of their disease of aging, but we seem to be having an effect on the whole aging process itself. Can we have another look at trying to get aging as an indication uh, categorized um, as something in which drugs can be sold. And I can tell you, if anything does work, we're very hopeful that it will, the public pressure to make uh, drug companies, uh, sorry, drug agencies around the world allow this sort of product on the market will be absolutely enormous. Because as I get back to the point I made earlier, there are very few people on the planet who don't want to live another 10 years of healthy life. What do you say to um, to the people that um, will look, look at this and say, you know, there's there's actually a, a moral argument here for for not increasing the lifespan of uh, of the population, and you know, people who think that there are already too many people on the planet in terms of you know the the planet's ability to sustain human life. Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, I would say to them, well, you might have looked in the year 1900 when the average life expectancy was 47 in the UK and said there are too many people because conditions were crowded in the UK then, as indeed they are now. Uh, should we not allow the development of antibiotics or vaccines or better sanitary conditions or better foods because there are already too many people and we want people to die younger? And less flippantly, and looking at it from today's point of view, you will know that fertility rates in every part of the world, except for Africa, are falling rapidly. And even in Africa, they're falling, but they're not falling as fast as elsewhere. And that means that in many countries, uh, populations are beginning to shrink, not to grow. Um, I'll give you some examples. So in Japan by the year 2100, the current population of 120 million uh, is likely to be half that. In Spain, where I am at the moment, the same. In Germany, the population will be falling shortly. Um, and in China, believe it or not, population has peaked. Uh, and the same can be applied almost universally throughout the world except for Africa. So our problem will not be that there are too many people but possibly that there are too few young people. Now, let's, so fertility is one end of the spectrum, which is the most important stat that we should look at here because women have to have 2.1 children on average in order to sustain current levels of population. And you might ask about the point one. The point one is dealing with infant mortality. And um, so they have to have 2.1 and in many countries, the figure is closer to one. So Singapore, South Korea, Japan, etc. So there's a big tail off in fertility. 
And you're making the point, well, what happens if we all live a lot longer? Doesn't that put a strain on the world's population numbers? And the answer is no, because we're already here. We are already in the population. We may die at a later date than currently expected, but it's not going to influence the gross number of people on the planet. So that ethical or moral consideration should be seen in a historical context of progress thus far, but also seen in the context of a world where the population is likely to go down, not to go up. There are broader ethical considerations about whether these treatments will be available to everyone on the planet as opposed to just those who can afford them. And that's something that maybe we'll leave for later in this in this podcast. But don't be concerned that, you know, if we live to 100 or 120, that somehow or other the world will be bulging at the seams. It won't be. We're already here. I'm all for it, by the way, Jim. You're much younger than me as well. You'll be bored. You'll be bored. Um, it just—it does seem to be a, a bit of a, a kind of a knee-jerk response that I do get from people when I do discuss this with uh, with friends and family. Um, there does seem to be some kind of um, uh, some kind of inbuilt skepticism towards the idea of living into the you know into your hundreds um, built in among people for some reason. But that that, yeah. that that is true, and I think that's because nothing ever worked before. And, you know, you have sort of satanic rituals where babies were being sacrificed and, you know, uh, virgin's blood was being drunk. And, uh, you know, there were all sorts of ways in which supposedly people were going to be uh, living longer, none of which worked. And I'll just give you a quick anecdote about that. So uh, the first of the three dear leaders uh, of Korea, um, and I can't remember what his name was, but it was like Kim... Kim Il-sun? It could be. Um, and they're all, they're, you know, they're all Kims, but I can never remember their uh, so-called first names. But um, he, at the age of 82, ordered his doctors uh, to find a way of keeping him alive to 120. He was dead the next year. And one assumes all his doctors were as well, because unfortunately, no matter how powerful you are, you know, you can't turn the tide of nature, uh, or at least you couldn't until now. And you've you, you've been so convinced um, of the investment appeal of this space that you uh, first you wrote a book about it. You spent quite a lot of time researching and writing that book. That's called Juvenescence. Um, and then you founded a company uh, of the same name. So tell us a bit about the the journey that you've been on. That's you know that's brought you to where you are now in this uh, this space. Well, I'm very fortunate to have. Uh two partners in the biotech space, uh, Greg Bailey, who I've worked with for a long time and um, who is an expert at uh, finding finance for biotech companies and who is now the CEO of Juvenescence. Um, and Deck Dugan, who was formerly the head of drug development at Pfizer. And you know, Pfizer is the biggest drug company on the planet. And Deck uh, was responsible for developing such drugs as um, Viagra, uh, Zoloft, uh, etc. It's a very, uh, very, very credible CV. And so the uh, three of us have started a number of companies. The most recent for Juvenescence is Biohaven, which is a uh, now a New York listed company. Um, we started it five years ago. I say we started it, we owned 54% of it for 3 million US dollars. And um, Deck put that company together. He found the people, um, he found a molecule that was really interesting. And uh, now that company has a drug on the US market, which is a remarkably short space of time for a de novo biotech company. And the market value of Biohaven is around four and a half billion dollars as we speak today. So it's a credible uh, and seasoned uh, team of veterans and we realized that the science of longevity which was in sort of wacky territory and in, in um really uh you know bizarre territory in some cases was now coming forward as a genuine and real science and um so i drove around the us as you said and i met all the so-called kols and kol stands for key opinion leaders 
uh, in the field. And some of them become very good friends. People like Nia Barzilai, who you know, uh, Tim, and Aubrey de Grey, who you also know. Um, and uh, we decided to build a platform company uh, with multiple silos because we, like everyone else, don't know what's going to work in this field. But we do know that something's going to work. And so currently we have 20 uh, projects across 12 corporate silos. And we take control in almost every case of the companies that we fund. Uh, and uh, we try and cross fertilize them. And we have a common AI, artificial intelligence uh, platform that we use for all these companies to try and accelerate um, their their growth. We've raised 170 million US dollars, um, of which Greg and myself have contributed uh, 30 million uh, on an equal basis. And uh, we are heading down the path towards, as you know, uh, towards a listing uh, in the United States in the relatively near future to raise more money to accelerate the development of our programs. And already, we have a liver regeneration, which will lead to all sorts, hopefully, of other organ regeneration programs, which we own about half of, which is in a phase two trial in the United States, uh, which is super exciting. And we will have our first consumer product, so-called metabolic switch, which is a really potent ketone ester, really unparalleled ketone ester, um, which came out of the Buck Institute, which is the world's leading anti-aging research institute, which I'm actually on the board of. Uh, and that will be on the market in the US on December the 1st. And I highly recommend to Master Investor listeners uh, that they should try and get hold of it. We're going to find a way, hopefully, of being able to sell it into uh, the UK and Europe. It's a sort of drink that you take with your breakfast, but it's cardioprotective, neuroprotective and induces ketosis which for those uh who would like to lose a bit of weight uh means you don't have to go on a ketogenic diet this does it for you uh and so uh the company's been moving at a very very fast pace and over the next year or two we'll be uh filing eight new drug applications in the united states with the fda um and all of these products that we have will have some pro longevity effect but also a near-term commercial um uh, objective so that the company can become revenue and prof profitable uh revenue generating and profitable in the relatively near future so it's a very exciting uh time when when we started uh the company uh three less than three years ago we did a, a seed round at about 21 million us dollars we expect to go public uh, with a post-money valuation of around a billion dollars. Um, I just want to pick on, up on something that you said, uh, Jim, about cross-fertilization amongst the, the portfolio companies, because information sharing in, in the pharmaceutical sector is a bit of a, a controversial issue, isn't it? And um, how does it how does it work in practice in terms of um, you know the, the complementary aspects of being all those companies being together in one overall incubator company. How does that work and what, what are the mechanics of that? Uh, that's a great question. We're not actually an incubator, really. We're um, because some of these companies are fairly far down the track. Um, and, uh, you know, you're not in a phase two if you're an incubator. So, um, uh, but the way that it essentially works is to try and find ways in which technologies from individual companies could be used by other companies to further and accelerate their goals. So I'll give you two examples. One is Ligenesis, which is the organ regeneration company, possibly using uh, the stem cells from our stem cell company, which is called Ajax, um, to avoid or lessen the need for immunosuppression drugs in organ regeneration because at the moment if you have a liver transplant it will cost in the us somewhere like three quarters of a million dollars it's a 15-hour operation uh it doesn't always work there aren't that many livers out there uh, for people with liver failure 
and um, the you're on very heavy immunosuppressant drugs for the rest of your life. And just to put that in context, if you're on very heavy immunosuppressant drugs, uh, you in the current pandemic wouldn't even be able to leave your room, let alone your house, because if you picked up COVID-19, you're a goner, right? Because you just have a very suppressed immune system. So uh, the idea is to use the stem cells and to, which Ajax has, uh, to try and reduce uh, the need or eliminate the need possibly for um, immune suppressant drugs. And then the second one would be our in-house AI company, which is called Relation, um, to both further the uh, activities of our drug development companies and, and accelerating the process of, of developing those drugs, but also uh, to repurpose old drugs for new opportunities. And we're very proud of the fact that Relation was recently among hundreds of companies chosen by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to develop a, uh, a drugs for COVID-19. COVID-19 is not our bag, obviously, um, you know, but it, it's a demonstration that their, their technology is really world beating and that, uh, you know, this immense philanthropic foundation, which specializes in health, has chosen them to find repurposed drugs for COVID-19 and gave them a healthy check at the same time as a grant to do it. Um, so, uh, you know, we're going to find ways in which some of the diseases uh, that affect old people and indeed possibly uh, are central to the disease of aging can be uh, addressed by just taking old drugs and using them for new purposes. And that's that's what this company is doing. And um, I'm sure many, uh, many investors are chomping at the bit to get their hands on um, Juvenescence shares once uh, the company's IPO, Jim. But um, in the meantime, are there any companies out there what investors might want to take a look at, listed companies, maybe some of the larger pharmaceutical companies that have um, you know, got ahead of the game in this space? Yeah, well, the, I, I can tell you right now there are no large pharmaceutical companies that are really happy that we know of that are uh, engaged in this area, with one exception, which is a company called Regeneron out of the US. Right. Uh, Regeneron produced the antibody uh, therapeutic that Donald Trump is offering to everyone in America uh, for free um, uh, because it supposedly cured him of COVID-19. Um, but they do, they've hired a guy called David Glass, who I just spoke to a couple of weeks ago, uh, along with Greg. And uh, David features in my book, Juvenescence, because he, uh, while at Novartis, was an early adopter of aging uh, science. And he's doing the same at Regeneron, which is a pretty big company. Um, so that's one to have a look at. In terms of the smaller companies, uh, this is the reason we've got 20 projects in our portfolio because we only need two or three of them to work to make an enormous financial return but some of the companies that were set up um in the a few years ago prior to juvenescence um were single shot companies so there's a company called restore bio which has changed its name to something else now uh and which was working on uh rapamycin analogs so-called rapalogs to try and boost the um, immune system in elderly people. Um, and then there was uh, Unity Biotech, which has produced a senolytic uh, drug that unfortunately, and I think it's more to do with trial design reasons than because of the, the drug itself um, uh, failed in a phase three trial and, and so did Restore Bio for that matter. So the perils of going into a single shot uh, company and one chance company are enormous but i think that that we have a very good chance of succeeding on two or three of our programs if not more and producing a very very good result which is why uh you know every single investment bank of note in the us uh is interested in this area and a lot of them have been knocking at the door of juvenescence as you can imagine good stuff jim so um i just want to finish off on a bit more 
of a light-hearted question. <laughs> um, just so that we can all, you know, live to see our investments come to fruition, can you give us one big lifestyle tip? Obviously, excluding the, you know, the usual of uh, eat healthy and do lots of exercise. Uh, well, I because this will be a uh, a really good. It's a bit like Actimel or you know uh, Yakult or one of those things in terms of what you. How, you, how it presents itself. Um, but as we all know, caloric restriction has a positive benefit to life expectancy, although it's not a huge benefit, but it, there is definitely a benefit. And also if you're not obese or significantly overweight, you have a much better chance of fighting off a number of diseases. Uh, and then you also want to try and stop uh, yourself from getting Alzheimer's or dementia and to improve your heart health. And this, this does all of that. Um, and uh, I would, I'm, I'm, I'm can't wait to get my hands on some for myself. Um, but the other thing that you might want to consider is, uh, you know, it's, it, it depends where you are, to be quite honest. Um, in the UK, metformin, which you're familiar with, Tim, is a, which is a drug that is um, you know, uh, much admired by Nir Barzilai, who spoke at a couple of our previous conferences. Um, metformin seems to have a pro-longevity anti-Alzheimer's um, effect. And uh, in Spain, I can buy it um, over the counter. And when I remember to take it, I do. And I, actually, I must, um, you know, uh, start getting back on it. But um, that's something to explore, but I'm not going to suggest that everyone goes out and tries to buy it on the black market or anything like that. But it is possible to buy it here over the counter. So, um, and I think in some other European countries, it's just not possible in the UK. But it's definitely worth having a look at the background to metformin. Um, I would say that the first of the drugs and therapies will be on the market, uh, excluding organ regeneration and stem cells, which could be a lot earlier. Uh, in the next five years or so. Um, and I just think you have to follow the science. I mean, you know, this has two, you rightly pointed out, it's two positive benefits. One is if you can invest in the companies that make this happen and you make a lot of money and be able to sustain yourself up to the age of 110 or 120. Uh, and the second thing is that uh, you will actually benefit from the technologies that you read about and, and live a much longer life than you think you're going to live at the moment. Great. Um, Jim, it's been a really interesting discussion. And um, obviously, I think most uh, master investor readers will be following it avidly, you know, in the, the months and years to come. Um, Longevity Week um, is coming up. What what should we keep an eye out for there? You, I'm guessing uh, well, we've, we've got a we've got a very special the Longevity Forum is the centerpiece of Longevity Week and with other events keyed around it, including the Master, uh, Master Investor uh, Longevity uh, Sessions. Um, but at the Longevity Forum, which is a, a not-for-profit organization started by uh, Daphina uh, Gracchi Penny, myself, Andrew Scott, Professor Andrew Scott, who wrote The 100-Year Life, uh, Trish Wilson um, and Anthony Chow, um, is going to have a very special guest um, uh, speaking and receiving an honour uh, uh, this year. Definitely worth looking out for that. And then along with the podcast that you're doing, Tim, there's going to be 10 podcasts uh, from uh, made specifically for the Longevity Forum, which I would highly recommend people have a look at. I assume they'll be on Amazon. We'll be sending out details um, to everyone, uh, obviously. And, uh, you know, the, the science is advancing at a really rapid pace. Um, it's not always going to work, but it's definitely worth paying attention to this. And um, so Longevity Week, I think it starts in, uh, would I say the beginning, the uh, middle of November? Am I right there? Tim? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And um, and then, of course, we've got the main Master of Esther event on December the 5th, which I'm really looking forward to participating in as well. So it's going to be a, jam-packed um, <laughs> month and a half coming up and uh, and uh, uh, you know we'll have lots of, of uh, tips recommendations 
an exciting uh, talk between distinguished people, which is, you know, how we all learn, basically. Looking forward to it. Jim, it's been a pleasure speaking to you and um, thanks for your time. Good luck with the IPO. Thanks very much. Thanks, Jim. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Jim. Bye. Welcome to part two of this Master Investor podcast focused on investing in longevity and the science of anti-aging. Our second guest today is Phil Newman. Phil is the founder of First Longevity Limited and First Longevity owns the longevity news platform longevity.technology and crowdfunding platform Crowd Longevity. Uh, Phil, just give us a, an introduction to yourself, your background. What, what was it that brought you into the longevity space? Oh, hi, James. Well, my background is in sales and marketing. So I've been a uh, tech and med tech sales and marketing uh, executive consultant um, person for the last uh, 25 years of my life. And uh, I've been looking at what has been going on in the healthcare sector and thought there's an opportunity to, to get into something new. So I'm sure we'll talk about the longevity space later, but my, my background is really looking at uh, markets, new markets, how markets can come to life. And my original training as a, uh, actually as a creative designer, which is a long time ago now, really put me in good stead for understanding how to read patterns and to see how processes work. And I found that actually that's, that creative skill has given me a lot of um, support as I've gone through working with companies, entering new markets, understanding how to break down those barriers and how to commercialize new products and services. Right. And what was, uh, give us a, a flavor of your journey into this space and what was it that first sparked the interest? Um, and then, and then also just move on to sort of talk about how, you know, what was the, the inception uh, of First Longevity? What was the, the idea behind that? Uh, well, it's quite interesting. I, back in the sort of mid 2000s, I was very involved in medtech and I got involved in a company that was in the bionics sector, which was thoroughly fascinating. That was all about helping people who are amputees, soldiers, um, people who had got uh, other health complications through loss of limb and understanding how neural signals work and interact with the body was really a, a great uh, leverage for me into what we do today as a business. Um, spent a bit of time working in machine vision as well, which was all about 3D scanning. And we were spending a lot of work um, time working in the fields of med tech as well for precision medicine and uh, advanced cosmetics. And all of those things were going on in my own life. Well, at the same time, uh, there was this fintech revolution going on, and I was watching what was happening in fintech. Uh, thoroughly interested in seeing how, you know, were the banks going to be able to provide licenses to these disruptors? Was this going to be a market that was going to take off? And, and obviously, crypto came in as well at the same in that same period. And I was watching on the sidelines, and I was thinking all through this, thinking, you know, wow, you know, I really should have been in this game, but I wasn't. <laughs> uh, and really looking for what might be the next uh, disruptive market to move into. And um, it actually happened on a on a train journey between uh, Oslo and uh, Trondheim. I was doing a. Uh, a uh, 24-hour bike ride back the other back the other direction. Oh, and I was reading an NFT article, and I read about this guy called Jim Mellon who'd uh, put <laughs> uh, put some money into a business called Juvenescence. And I was it just just resonated with me. I thought, oh, that really triggered some neurons. And I, I was looking at what the, what they were doing as a business. And obviously, I read Jim's book, and really all of those things. Uh, led me towards understanding that the longevity space is very complicated. Uh, there are a lot of ways in which people are interpreting the longevity space. And I decided that I'd actually use some of my own skills to look at the space for my own understanding of it and my, my own understanding of the dynamics of that space. And uh, originally my plan was to put on an event, as you do. I thought, well, I'll put on an event to get everybody in one room and uh, charge you know, a few grand a ticket, et cetera. That, yeah. that idea didn't last very long. And I realized that actually what I needed to do was spend, spend much more time on it. So I hired a couple of journalists and a researcher and we worked in stealth mode over six months uh, really simulating running a publication on longevity so when we got to the point when we were ready to launch which was just over a year ago in, in september last year we'd already got a lot of backstory uh, in place we'd met a lot of people in the in the marketplace all ahead of our launch so we hit the ground running and since that point in time we've grown very fast and it's uh, it's been a great journey so far so yeah, that's, the stars align then for you um, in longevity. And 
it does seem that you've got some some heavy hitters on board as well. Just looking at the advisory panel, you've got um, obviously our very own Jim Mellon on there. Um, Aubrey de Grey, who's one of the foremost figures in this space, Greg Bailey. So how did you persuade those people to uh, to come on board and you know just give us a just give us a bit of a, a flavor as to you know what it was that attracted those heavy hitters in the first place? Well, I think that uh, we built a brand very quickly and we were very consistent. I wanted to be pushing out daily news. Sometimes we've struggled in the past to get daily news on the, on the field of longevity. But I think that really we, we created a brand very quickly. And in doing so, we were able to give people access to the marketplace uh, in, a, in a shorter period of time. So we're not a scientific publication. You know, we haven't got peer review. We're just looking at the news that's going on in the marketplace. We're obviously looking at the scientific um, agenda as well, but also looking at the markets in terms of the investment potential and the investor activity. So I think that we represent a different category of publication. We're a hybrid of really how commerce and investment and science comes together in the field of longevity. So with these individuals that came became part of our advisory panel, it really wasn't actually a, a big ask. We didn't have to beg, beg uh, and, and borrow their, their attention. They've seen what we've been doing. We've interviewed them all respectively on their, on their own businesses and their own projects. And when we asked them if they'd be interested in supporting us with our, with our advisory panel, they, they all came on um, and said yes. No, nobody actually said no, which was great. So <laughs> they're, they're a great team. And really, we haven't leveraged them sufficiently yet. But right. now we're moving into this sphere where we're going from the publication into the crowdfunding model. They're going to become very useful to us in terms of due diligence and uh, sites on the marketplace and so forth. Yeah. Um, just give us an idea of the, the investment opportunity with longevity, because I, I saw on your website there was something mentioning that the, the space could be worth 26 trillion by the year 2026, which I mean, that's a huge sum, isn't it? It's bigger than the, the, the US economy. So how do we get from where we are now to, to that? Well, uh, quite. It, it is a big number, and there are some more conservative numbers, but they've they've all got plenty of zeros associated with them. <laughs> um, uh, Dmitry Kamenitsky and Margareta Colangelo, who are both from Longevity Capital and who are both also on our advisory panel, they've just written a book actually called Longevity Industry One Point Zero, and that figure comes from their book. And what they've done basically is they've they've taken a figure of twenty percent of global GDP. As a, as a marker for the longevity sector, which is very broad brush. And obviously it reflects the fact that the longevity industry is not just about healthcare, it's about retirement plans, it's about retirement homes, um, it's about insurance and all of those types of things. So they've wrapped all of that into the field of longevity. Financial services is something that intrigues me about that uh, play of longevity and finance together, but we stay away from that uh, from a uh, market perspective. We're only interested in investment into the, into the tech within the sector. But uh, Bank of America themselves, they, they reckon that the, the marketplace will be half a trillion dollars by 2025, which is, a, which is a, a big, big step away from the 26 trillion. But at the end of the day, I think it demonstrates that people are still trying to articulate what the, what the parameters of the markets are, what is longevity and what is not longevity, and taking their own interpretations out of that. And I think that's a reflection of the fact that the market is still very young. And what is the specific opportunity with uh, First Longevity? Just give us a, an overview of, uh, of your activities um, of late and, you know, the fundraising. Well, uh, glad to say that uh, Jim is one of the uh, high profile investors that we've got uh, within our cohorts. So we have just closed uh, a second, soft closed the second part of our round. So we have an EIS advanced assurance process in place now. So we, we have uh, advanced assurance for investments and we're looking to secure our last 105K on this particular round to close off our seed round. And then we're going to go in the tunnel and then start applying that, that capital to really two business plans that we have. We have obviously, as I mentioned before, uh, the media plan. So we've got the longevity technology website, which we're going to be migrating that quickly now into becoming a very specialist hub for longevity insights from both a financial perspective and from a scientific perspective. So a little bit like uh, Bohurst and Crunchbase in terms of those being really good resources for investors. We're looking to do that at a much more micro level into some of the specific technologies and uh, therapies associated with the, with the longevity market. 
So we'll be doing that. And then, as, as you mentioned nicely, we at the beginning, we've got crowd longevity, which is going to be our uh, equity crowdfunding model. Um, we have found really that there is a lot of interest in both uh, the private investor community and the high net worth community in longevity. I think that's partly driven by the demographic of those individuals. They're, they're normally at, at a mid, mid life point. Uh, they're interested in their own health. They're interested in understanding how they can uh, enjoy their wealth for as, for as long as possible. And as, as you may have noticed, there are also a number of venture capital funds that have started to, to pop up. Yeah. Uh, they're probably still only 10 really uh, dedicated uh, and serious longevity uh, VC funds. There are more coming on, on board. But what we found really is that uh, bringing together the model of having a, uh, a cohort of, uh, let's call them professional investors from the VC community with private investors fed by the deal flow that we have driven really many in many respects from the media title. We get lots of insights to very interesting tech that's coming to market, bringing all of that together within our digital platform to form a, a company that can then support uh, early stage, really seed to series A stage companies with their with their funding journey. And we plan to launch that, launch that within three months. And it's, it's really exciting for private investors because they're actually getting in on something at ground zero, aren't they? So, you know, um, they're going to enjoy the sort of ride right from the very beginning. Um, what what sort of um, advice can you give to um, investors who might be looking at this space and might want to sort of dip the toe in? Um, what what should they be looking for? Do you think? Well, there are some interesting categories at the moment that are well. It's your appetite for risk, isn't it? As with all investing. So there are companies in the longevity space that would classify as pure biotech and, and biotech businesses do take uh, time to get to market. Obviously they have a lot of um, stages through their clinical pipeline where there can be erosions of their success as they go through that. But likewise, there are some interesting sectors within the space already that are, that are active. So we've seen a lot of work recently in the supplements market. So these are supplements that are actually dedicated to, uh, to uh, life extension. So they, there are NAD plus supplements and NMN and NMR. Uh, these are all supplements that uh, people are able to bring to market much quicker because they have uh, components which are called GRAS, which is generally recognized as safe. So I think the supplements market is growing very significantly. And I was actually presenting at a conference last week and I, I, I held up all of the supplements that uh, were at the back of my cupboard that I've stopped taking. And the reason I stopped taking those is because I actually have no idea whether they're doing me any good or not. So. <laughs> So pretty another, good reason. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's like anything. Is it if, if you know, if you can't measure it, um, you, you can't improve it. And, and really, we feel that there's a big opportunity now in the space of biomarkers. We're seeing a lot of uh, biomarker technologies coming on online. So you can get tests for DNA methylation, which will tell you what your metabolic age is as opposed to your chrono chronological age and obviously if it's in the right direction you know that you're, what you're doing is 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 well and obviously that includes diet and exercise I mean there's no no running away from it you know there there's not going to be a poly pill for longevity anytime soon for, for a very long time but really the, the supplements market supported by the biomarkers market is very exciting and then of course you've got the apps that are supporting people through understanding whether the interventions that they're taking are helping them. So to give you an example, I, I have dementia in my family. Uh, my, my father died of it and uh, it's on my mother's side as well. So I'm really keen to understand what I can do now at 53 years of age to understand what I can do to mitigate that down, downstream. But of course, it's going to be a bit late by the time I hit 80 and I realise that I've been taking the wrong supplements. So this is the type of market opportunity that we're seeing now that people have got interventions. There are ways of measuring those interventions. And then, of course, tracking those interventions, as we all are relatively lazy as, as human beings, you need apps and devices that will just do that for you and basically give you daily advice on what you should be doing and what you should not be doing. And this sort of backs into kind of what the biohacker community is, which has got a bit of a bad name in the field of longevity. You know, biohacking is, is not putting implants into your body and injecting yourself with stem cells. It's actually tracking a lot of the activities that you do to improve your sleep, to improve your exercise, to improve your general health and well-being. Mm -hmm. And in many respects, this is what I see as being the, the key focus for what we'll be working on with our uh, funding activity in the first cohort that we work with, with, uh, with these startup businesses and our partner investors. So just picking up on that, um, I've asked Jim this question, so I'm going to ask you as well. Um, 
is there anything that people might not be doing now, you know, excluding the obvious ones of, um, you know, plenty of exercise and a good diet, something that people could easily implement right now that would give them a much better chance of living into old age and being able to enjoy the fruits of their investments? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that diet and exercise is, 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 is fundamentally a big part of it. And what sort of diet you have and what sort of exercise that you have is, is very important. So to tell you what I'm doing personally, I have decided that I need to look at my microbiome. I need to understand what's going on with the, the fuel that I'm putting uh, on, in, on my, in my body uh, to, to understand whether that's doing me any good or not. So I've uh, actually spent a lot of time personally in, in microbiome. So there are tests to understand what's going on with your gut health. And there are diets that can help you understand whether that's, um, well, to, first of all, to address any issues you've got with your gut health and then regular testing to understand whether that's working for you or not. So I think that's really important. The type of exercise that you do as well is very important. Uh, again, on a personal basis, I I have over-exercised uh, candidly. I, I've put myself into a uh, into a pretty difficult position by actually over-exercising, and I think that I wasn't really tracking that. So that's that's another thing that backs into both the diet and the exercise thing, which I would suggest are actually really important aspects uh, of longevity. And then in many respects, the, the supplements market is, is right there now. Uh, NAD Plus seems to be one of the key supplements at this stage that has got proven longevity um, capacity. Um, there are some people that will still have opinions against that, but that's the nature of the space at the moment. But I'm actively going to start looking at uh, NAD Plus supplementation and also supplementation with Omega-3 to support me with my uh, potential downstream issues associated with dementia. Great. And um, just tell us a bit about the events that are coming up in, in future, because you're going to be um, out and about, aren't you, in November, um, Longevity Week? Yeah, Longevity Week is, is, going to be, is going to be very exciting. And I think like everything, it's going to be transitioning into a, into a digital sphere, which I think is a really positive thing because it gives people the ability to cherry pick what they're going to do. They don't have to get up to London for a day and spend all day listening to stuff that they don't necessarily wish to listen to. So I think that the advent of digital events is really exciting. And having had a look at the agenda, they've got some great stuff scheduled for the week, which uh, which builds on the great work from last last year's event, which was very, very much my my first uh, engagement with some of those people in the marketplace. And yes, there are, two, there are two sessions which I believe I'm going to be involved with, which are both from the longevity investment side and the longevity science side. And uh, very excited about those. And there's some great speakers coming up as well. So that's, that's really exciting. And we ourselves are going to be doing an event uh, later in the year focusing on neurotech, which is tangentially involved with uh, the longevity space, a lot of work going on with neuroceuticals and so on. So that's one that we're going to be involved with as well. Excellent. So we'll all be looking out for those. Um... It's just a, an absolutely amazing space to to sort of get involved with at the moment, and I think, especially for for you know from an investor's point of view, um, getting into something at ground zero like this and you know watching it develop, um, the the opportunities there are just immense, aren't they? And um, you've got the added benefit of it, you know, being a a social good as well. So um, yeah, so something to keep an eye on. And thanks for your time today, Phil. Um, I'm sure we'll be following your progress uh, very keenly. Great. Well, good to meet you, James, and uh, very best of luck with uh, your other interviews today. Thank you very much.